Hello everyone, and welcome to the March 17th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Kyle Eubelhart, attorney with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation news. Some Northern California contractors lost their case against the failed construction industry self-insured group Brokers. Here is what happened in the case of Mark Tanner Construction versus Hub International Insurance Services. Plaintiffs Mark Tanner Construction and Mount Lincoln Construction are both general contractors located in Truckee, California. Compensation Risk Managers of California, or CRM, administered a self-insured workers' compensation program for contractors known as the Contractors Access Program of California, or CAP. The Department of Industrial Relations granted CAP a certificate of consent to self-insure in 2004. Hub International Insurance Services marketed and sold CAP to Mark Tanner Construction and Mount Lincoln Construction. Membership in CAP required members to be jointly and severally liable for the workers' compensation liability of all other members for the year of membership. Approximately 250 employees became members of CAP. By the end of 2009, the DIR revoked CAP's certificate to self-insure and CAP was placed into conservatorship. CAP's estimated exposure for unfunded liabilities was over $20 million. In 2010, members were sent assessments for the anticipated exposure. Tanner was assessed about $150,000 and Mount Lincoln was assessed nearly $43,000. Tanner, Mount Lincoln, and two other companies sued Hub and others for professional negligence and constructive fraud. The contractors alleged that the insurance brokers did not inform them of important information concerning the financial stability of CAP. They were not told that the beginning in 2006, CAP incurred losses of over $28 million and then over $60 million. CRM was involved in a multi-million dollar lawsuit in New York over similar self-insured insurance programs. CAP's security bond was not renewed after 2008 and plaintiffs were unprotected if claims exceeded the reserves. And at least five under self-insured insurance programs administered by CRM in California had failed. The trial court granted the broker's motion for summary judgment, and the Court of Appeals sustained the dismissal in the partially published opinion. The trial court found that the broker was entitled to summary judgment in the professional negligence claim because insurance brokers had no duty to investigate the financial condition of the insurer and no facts were presented demonstrating that the defendants knew or should have known the financial condition of CAP. As to the claim for constructive fraud, the trial court found the duty to disclose arose in the arm's length business transaction only if there was a fiduciary relationship and no such relationship was shown in this case. And now for our fraud report. Federal healthcare fraud efforts recovered a record $4.3 billion in 2013, up from $4.2 billion in 2012. Since 1997, the program has recovered nearly $26 billion. The annual healthcare fraud and abuse control program report claims that for every dollar spent on healthcare-related fraud investigations in the last three years, the government recovered $8.10 the highest three-year average return on the investment in the 17-year history of the program. The Justice Department and the HHS have improved their coordination and are currently operating Medicare Fraud Strike Force teams in nine areas across the country. 
The Strike Force teams use advanced data analysis techniques to identify high billing levels in healthcare fraud hotspots so that interagency teams can target emerging or migrating schemes as well as chronic fraud by criminals posing as health professionals. In 2013, the Strike Force made new records in the number of cases filed, 137. Individuals charged 345 and guilty pleas secured 234. Jury trial convictions equaled 46. The defendants who were charged and sentenced in 2013 are facing significant time in prison, on average 52 months. The Justice Department officials opened about 1,000 new criminal health care fraud investigations involving nearly 2,000 potential defendants in 2013, and a total of 718 defendants were convicted of health care fraud-related crimes during the year. The department also opened 1,000 new civil health care fraud investigations. New enrollment screening techniques are proving effective in preventing high-risk providers from getting into the system, and the new computer analytics system that detects and stops fraudulent billing before money ever goes out the door is accomplishing positive results. And now time for regulatory news. Industry experts say that California's sweeping Senate Bill 863 workers' compensation reform is working for the most part. But some of the savings may not materialize thanks to pressure on the system. These comments were made at the Golden Gate chapter of the Chartered Property Casualty Underwriters Society during the group's all-industry day by the WCIRB and CWCI officials. Among the host of changes the bill made was to establish an independent medical review process. The IMR process was projected to produce a savings of $400 million in administrative costs. However, that was assuming that between 50 and 60,000 disputes would make it to IMR each year, but many more cases have been going to IMR than were originally anticipated. More than 14,000 IMR cases are being filed each month, putting the system on pace for more than 170,000 cases for the year. Thus, experts predict that projected administrative cost savings and probably not going to materialize, other than the higher-than-expected IMR volume, the new system seems to be working as intended. 75% of all treatment requests are being approved at the initial level without further review. Out of the one-fourth of cases that get elevated for further review, slightly more than 23% of the requested treatment is either modified or denied. When it's all added up, that means less than 5% of the requests are either modified or denied. One trouble spot in both the new and old systems is that pharmacy costs continue to dominate treatment disputes. 43% of utilization reviews are over pharmacy spending, and more than one-third of IMRs are over pharmacy issues. Much of the pharmacy spending in workers' comp comes from physicians prescribing opiates. Nearly half of the Schedule II opiates, like morphine, oxycodone, are being prescribed for minor injuries an opiate has become a problem worse across the U.S. each year. Another epidemic that continues to impact the workers' comp industry is obesity, which may become a bigger problem for the system, with no pun intended. A decision in June 2012 by the American Medical Association House of Delegates reclassifying obesity as a disease state may elevate the case of injured workers who are obese. 
With obesity reclassified as a disease, medical providers may feel a greater responsibility to counsel the obese patients about their weight, or if treatment for a compensable injury causes significant weight gain. Thus, obesity may move from being treated as a camaraderie or compensable injury. Jonathan Gruber, professional of economics at the Massachusetts Isinol Institute of Technology, urged 400 attendees of the annual conference in the WCRI in Boston to consider where workers' compensation is relative to the rest of the nation's healthcare system. Gruber was an advisor to former Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney in the design of the state's universal health care law. He was also a technical advisor to the Obama administration and Congress in the Affordable Care Act, which is modeled after the Massachusetts system. He claimed that while workers' compensation carriers should see fewer claims as a result of more Americans obtaining health insurance through Obamacare, there are other forces at play that can mean higher costs and other challenges for the workers' compensation system. As more people have health insurance, there is less need for them to have injuries covered by workers' compensation, and this should lower workers' compensation costs. However, that effect could be offset by employers moving to high deductible plans and limiting provider networks as well as by health plans by capping reimbursement to the medical care providers. Other health insurance payers are going to get tougher, and that is the challenge for the workers' compensation community. And thus, while the rest of the system is changing, is workers' compensation going to keep up the pace? The MIT professor said that workers' compensation is already an anarchist in so many ways and becoming increasingly so. That is a fundamental challenge. How do you get workers' compensation to look more like the rest of the healthcare system? The nation is transitioning from open provider networks to limited networks and that higher deductible plans are appropriate for higher incomes. But Gruber questioned where these trends in healthcare leave the workers' compensation industry. If the workers' compensation system stays behind, it will have the broadest possible network and the lowest possible cost sharing, and it's going to have people migrating into it more and more. And now, time for medical news. New developments in the world of medicine may have far-reaching consequences for claim administrators who reserve files for future medical care. A combination of lower-cost sequencing technology and a growing list of wins and narrow corners of medicine are starting to show that genomic medicine is the verge of delivering some of the early promises to transform medical care. Craig Venter, the pioneer in the field, claims that recent advances in sequencing have been stunning the genomics and just threshold of delivering huge results. Scientists believe knowing a person's genetic code will lead to high personalized treatments for cancer, better predictions for diseases in babies, and help unlock the puzzle of mysterious genetic diseases that currently go undiagnosed and untreated. Venter is staking his latest entrepreneurial venture on that expectation. He announced the new formation of a company to undertake a massive project, sequencing 40,000 human genomes a year in search for a new therapies to preserve health and fight off diseases including cancer, heart disease, and Alzheimer's. To do that, the new company, Human Longevity, will use two HiSec 10 machines to rapidly sequence genomes, and the company has an option to buy three more of these machines at a later date. The sequencers can map a single genome for as little as $1,000.
Venter's new company has picked cancer as its first sequencing target. Working with the University of California, San Diego, the company plans to sequence the genomes as well as the tumors of every cancer patient treated at UCSD's Moore's Cancer Center. The original government-funded Human Genome Project spent $3 billion and took 13 years to sequence the first human genome. Breaching the $1,000 price point in the genome could prove to be a watershed. At that cost, ambitious projects like Venters are economically feasible and clinical results are more achievable. Venter wants to now get hundreds of thousands to millions of genomes and databases with clinical information and advances in sequencing equipment and the advent of next-generation sequences has transformed the work of the cardiovascular genetics clinic at the University of Chicago. In seven short years, the Chicago group has come from testing just one gene at a time to testing 60 to 70 genes and is moving quickly into whole genome sequencing. The team recently used a Beagle, a supercomputer housed at Argo National Laboratory, to analyze 240 full genomes in about two days. Such an endeavor normally takes months to achieve. A professor of genome sciences at the University of Washington in Seattle said the impact of gene sequencing is beginning to emerge in specific areas. A key example is the use of pregnant women's blood to see if her fetus may have trisomes or chromosomal abnormalities associated with Down syndrome and other disorders. Almost overnight, sequencing is in the process of taking over as a primary means of screening for trisomes in at-risk populations and maybe eventually to everyone. Swedish researchers have devised a blood test that could better diagnose sports-related brain injuries and prevent football, rugby, and ice hockey players returning to the field in danger. The new study is published in the journal JAMA Neurology. The researchers said their method can show just an hour after a head injury how severe the concussion is, whether there is a risk of long-term symptoms, and when the player can return to the sport. In ice hockey and other contact sports, repeated concussions are common where the brain is not finished healing after the first blow. This kind of injury is dangerous, but there have not been any methods for monitoring how a concussion in the athlete heals. Many athletes who have filed litigation claims that repeated head knocks can cause chronic traumatic encephalology or CTE, a brain condition that can lead to a loss of cognitive function, dementia, aggression, and depression. While mild concussions don't generally cause loss of consciousness, they can induce other symptoms such as dizziness, nausea, trouble concentrating, memory problems, and headaches. Severe concussions can cause a loss of consciousness, but most concussions get better in days or weeks, and some patients can suffer symptoms more than a year after the injury. The National Football League agreed in August to pay $765 million to settle a lawsuit brought by thousands of former players, many suffering from dementia and other health problems. They accused the league of hiding the dangers of brain injury while profiting from the sport's violence. Many of these players have also filed workers' compensation claims in the state of California. Players in the new study who had concussions were asked to provide repeated blood samples initially directly after the concussions and then also during the following days. 
the results were compared with the preseason samples and found that having raised the levels of nerve cell protein called TAU or tau in the blood was marked of concussion. By measuring tau levels in regular tests, the researchers could say how severe the concussion was just one hour after the injury and can predict with a high level of certainty which players would have long-term symptoms and need rest longer. The ultimate aim of this research is to have a working kit that can be used in diagnostics in hospitals and perhaps also used at ringside or in stadiums for use immediately after a player is concussed. The same test could also be used in general emergency medical care to diagnose brain damage from concussions, regardless of how they have happened. Most medical delivery symptom, systems, including treatment in the California Workers' Compensation Program, have evolved to payment only for evidence-based medicine. High-quality medical science is supposed to be used to approve or disprove UR and IMR treatment requests. Consequently, there needs to be some oversight of the medical science used for review. Gatekeepers are needed to scrutinize the supposed medical science for foul play. As simple as that sounds, there are frustrating bureaucratic hurdles to overcome at the highest level of federal government. Citing such frustration, the director of the U.S. government office that monitors scientific misconduct and biomedical research has resigned after two years of working what he calls remarkably dysfunctional federal bureaucracy. David Wright, director of the Office of Research Integrity, or RI. ORI, writes in scathing resignation letter that the huge amount of time he has spent trying to get things done made it much of his time at the ORI the very worst job he had ever had. ORI, which is part of the Department of the Health and Human Services, supposedly monitors alleged research misconduct by researchers funded by the National Institute of Health and other public health service agencies. It runs education programs and reviews institutions' misconduct investigations, each year posing a dozen or so findings of misconduct defined as fabrication, falsification, or plagiarism. It also recommends sanctions, such as barring researchers from receiving grants. ORI's visibility has grown recently along with the rise of retracted research papers, some involving misconduct. Observers lauded Wright's appointment in December 2011, which ended two years in which the office had no permanent director. Wright, a historian of science at Michigan State University in East Lansing, has served an ORI consultant and came with plans to beef up the training programs. But last month, he was fired off a fiery resignation letter to his boss. In his letter, David Wright writes that working with ORI's remarkable scientist investigation was the best job he ever had. But that was only 35% of his job. The rest of the time was spent navigating the remarkably dysfunctional HSS bureaucracy to run the ORI. Tasks that took a couple of days as a university administrator required weeks or months at ORI. He says that ORI's budget was micromanaged by more senior officials and that the office had a seriously flawed culture that was secretive, autocratic, and unaccountable. Officials spent exorbitant amounts of time in meetings and generating data and reports to make their divisions look productive. He described his office as an intensely political environment. 
A recent letter to ORI from Senator Charles Grassley complained that ORI was not tough enough on the AIDS researcher in Iowa State University who faked data to obtain nearly $19 million in government funding. ORI barred the researcher from participating in research for three years, but Grassley asked that ORI did not make the return to federal grant money or impose harsher sanctions. And in other news, Governor Brown has appointed Cheryl Chalupa as chair of State Compensation Insurance Fund Board of Directors effective immediately. Chalupa succeeds Larry Mulrin, who has served the state funds board since 2009 and is chair the past three years. Mulrin will remain the member of the board and chair for the governance committee, but Chalupa was appointed by Governor Schwarzenegger to the state funds board of directors in 2007 and reappointed by Governor Brown in January 2014. Since 2001, Chalupa has been president and CEO of Goodwill Industries of South Central California, overseeing the nonprofit corporation's work in Kern, King, and Southern Tulare counties. Chalupa also served as effective director for the Girl Scouts Joshua Tree Council. She is a native California and is active in her local community. She serves as chairs of Greater Bakersfield Chamber of Commerce in 2011. Currently, she serves on the boards of the California State University Bakersfield Foundation and the Westside Energy Service and Education Center. She is also an active member in the Bakersfield Rotary Club. Chalupa received both her bachelor's degree in political science and her master's in public administration from California State University Bakersfield. She holds a certificate in nonprofit management from Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, is executive certificate holder with Goodwill Industries International, and is a governance fellow with National Association of Corporate Directors. Chalupa said she was honored to serve as chair and appreciates the confidence Governor Brown has in her and state fund. State Fund's board is focused on building the competitive company with a resourceful, creative workforce that provides fair prices and excellent service creates stability in the market, and delivers significant value to California employers and injured workers. That's all of our news and events for this week. Please check out our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Kyle Eubelhart with Floyd Scarin and Kelly, and thanks for joining us today. Make sure to drop by again next week for more news.